0: Let's pray. Hallelujah, God. Lord, we give you the glory. Glory, glory, glory to you, our Heavenly Father. You are worthy. You are deserving of our glory, and we give it this morning. We thank you for your presence. Bless us this morning. Change us. A moment to receive what He is bringing this morning. It is real and it is good. We do receive it from you, Lord, right now, whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts today. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks, band. Good morning. So good to be here and continuing on our fantastic series on the Ten Commandments. It has been truly a blessing to hear just incredible teaching and preaching in this series. I've absolutely loved it. I've always loved the Ten Commandments. But this series really has given me an even greater appreciation for them. I just love so much that God would take the time to... Clearly lay out the path to holiness. He wants us to be holy and righteous like He is. But He doesn't hide it, He doesn't make it confusing and weird. It's just here it is, and this is how to do it. And when you do it, you'll be blessed. It's so simple. And He did that for us in His kindness. He has given us these commands. So, like Hudson said, we have a double header this morning. Commandments 8 and 9, let's jump in, shall we? Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. In verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So there we have it, you shall not steal, you shall not lie. So I'm going to give you two stories of people who did both of those things, stole and lied. So if you uh, have listened to American news in the last few years, you may have heard the name Elizabeth Holmes. She's an American woman, and at the age of 19, she dropped out of university because she had an idea. She wanted to start a company. And she came up with this invention that would test blood, basically, but a lot quicker than normal. So it was a finger prick test, and it... uh, Actually, diagnose like a whole range of illnesses. I think, including cancer, just with one little drop of blood. So it was a real revolutionary idea in the world of healthcare and and you know biomedicine and all of that. So she started this company very young, very impressive. She raised millions of dollars. She attracted uh, lots of investment. Rupert Murdoch invested in her company. Um, lots of Big name players were excited about this idea and got behind her and really backed her. So she started the company, uh, made this device, started marketing it, made deals with healthcare providers and hospitals, and they started using her device. So uh, she made a lot of money. By the age of 30, she had been named the uh, youngest self-made billionaire in the world. Her company was valued at about $9 billion. Not long after that, a journalist had heard some things and he started to investigate her company and her claims. And he found them all to be totally false. The device did not actually work as she had promised. The results were very inaccurate. And it turns out that the company was using... um, just normal blood testing machines to to test the samples that they'd collected. They weren't actually using the devices she made. So she was exposed as a fraud. Uh, She was charged and faced court and is currently now in jail, where she will be for the next 11 years. She never admitted her guilt. She um, totally maintained her innocence, even though she had clearly lied about it. I mean, it was, it was her invention, her company, you know, she would have absolutely known that it wasn't working. Now I'm going to tell you another story about someone who also lied and stole. And you will know this one very well. It is Zacchaeus from the Bible. And I'm going to read you the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So you can just see the differences. Zacchaeus was a liar and a cheat. He was a tax collector and, you know, around that time, many of them were corrupt, so they would collect taxes from people and say, yeah, you owe, I don't know, $200, when really they only owed 100 and he would just keep the extra cash for himself. And then Jesus comes. He must have heard about Jesus and heard something, we don't know, but he wanted to see this man. And so he ran after him, climbed a tree so he could... Just look at Jesus. And all Jesus did was stop and look up and speak. And Jesus didn't even... I was sure that there was more to this story when I looked it up. I was like, there has to be more to this. I was sure that Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, you shouldn't steal. Don't do that. It's not right. It's wrong. Come and I'll show you a better way. He, He didn't actually say any of that. All he said was, come down. I'm going with you today. And Zacchaeus's life was completely changed. That's all it took. One look, one word. And he turned his life around. So he left his life of, of stealing, of lying, and he was changed. Jesus really honored Zacchaeus's faith. And he didn't do much. He climbed a tree. That was all he did. So let's just look at what God says about lying. So we know that God hates lies. He hates them. And we know that because that's what he says in the word. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So of those seven things there that is listed that God hates, two of them are about lying. So it's pretty clear, God hates lying. Can't stand it. And then one more scripture on lying. Proverbs 26 verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. So that's interesting, isn't it? A lying tongue hates the person that it lies to. Lying is not showing love. It's the opposite. So, so why do people lie? To get out of trouble, to make themselves look good. You know, lying has just become so normal and acceptable in our society. You know, every TV show you watch, like... Every, you know, American sitcom, you know, someone lies to someone and, you know, it's really funny because they don't know that it's a lie and that's what the whole episode is based on and at the end they confess, oh, I'm sorry, that's okay, that was so funny. Like, it's just become this totally normal thing. But I was thinking about the way that lying is portrayed in TV shows and movies and the reality of it is that when a person actually discovers that they've been lied to They don't laugh and find it funny. People feel hurt. They feel humiliated and angry. Like you think back to when you've discovered a lie that was told to you. It's very uncomfortable and upsetting, really. And that kind of behaviour is so damaging to relationships, isn't it? Because it breaks trust. A lie breaks trust. So the truth about lying is that it is always bad. The consequences are always bad. I, um, after I had children, I kind of realised how often adults lie to children. Like, it's a lot. I couldn't quite believe it. Like And it was all done in fun and, you know, just tricking and, and stories that adults would tell kids. But I, I really didn't like it. It bothered me. And one day... Um, my eldest son Austin came home from school, I think he was about six, and he was telling me all about the elf in his classroom. So if you are a um, teacher or a parent, you've probably heard of elf on the shelf. So what it is, if you don't know, so you buy like a toy elf and you put it up in your house or the classroom somewhere. And this elf, this is what, children are told this elf works for Santa Claus and watches all the kids to make sure that they're behaving well and if they're not then they report back to Santa and you know you might not get what you want for Christmas this year kids and so i'd heard about this and austin came home and he was like mom there's a real elf in our classroom and i was like oh here we go i know i know what he's going to say i was like oh okay And he said, yeah, and it like moves around the classroom and it watches what we're doing. And I was like, oh, I I can't let this lie continue, obviously. And so I told him the truth. I was just like, well, you know, like, I know it's a bit of fun, but it's not actually real. Like, it's, it's actually your teacher that moves the elf around the classroom. And he was like, no, 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 she doesn't. It actually moved by itself. The other day it was on the fan. Like, how would it even get there? I'm like, oh, my goodness, this teacher's creative. And I had to work quite hard, actually, to convince him that it was not true. And he didn't like it. He he almost wanted to believe it because it was kind of fun and exciting. But I knew that it was more important that he know the truth. And I didn't want to open a door of, of lies and, you know, these things coming in. And then... Because one day he's going to find out the truth. And I always want to be someone in his life who tells him the truth he's going to hear so many lies out in the world and wherever but I realized very early on I want to be a voice of truth to my children and so that's why God says it do not lie so simple black and white so clear no wiggle room and it's great it's actually great when you make a decision to never lie in any situation to realize that a lie is never necessary not even once not even a little bit not even a white lie or a fib they're all lies it's actually great and really it simplifies life a lot there are no dilemmas like oh should i ooh, should i tell the truth in this situation should i lie like the answer is clear no do not lie It's so great. You will never get caught up in lies. You'll never have to remember a lie that you told someone. You know what I mean? It's just easy. Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. It can be easy and tempting to reach for a lie. And there are situations when it would be so much easier to lie. For example, when your child comes up to you and asks what happened to their favorite painting that was on the fridge for eight months and is now gone, it would be really tempting to reach for a lie like, oh, the wind blew it and it disappeared into the bin somewhere. <laughs> but it's not a kindness to lie, even in that situation. Or even those little things like, you know, do I look good in this dress? Well, you know, maybe it's not kind of style that I prefer you in but I think this one maybe would suit you better like there's always there's always a truth to tell we we never actually have to reach for the lie it's always better for us and for the other person to hear truth remember what God says that a lying tongue hates the person that it lies to so we don't have to do that so much simpler to speak the truth which I could um, reiterate to my son. Even this morning he came up to me and did not like what I was wearing and felt the need to be truthful about that. I was like, oh, oh. It looks like a tent. Like, is it a raincoat or something? What are you wearing? He's like, oh. Thanks, doll. And true, it's, you know, just because we can tell the truth and sure, it doesn't mean we always need to tell the truth, right? Like, truthfully, I hate it when you leave your socks everywhere. To tell the truth, we don't have, always have to tell the truth. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. Same thing with our kids. Like, you know, when your three-year-old comes to you and asks, you know, where do babies come from, we don't have to sit them down and give them a full, you know, biological, you know, step-by-step process. We use wisdom and we use sense, of course. So stealing. Let's move on to stealing. Now, most of us in this room probably don't have a huge problem with stealing. Most, if not all of us, can walk into a shop and purchase with money what we want to buy and not feel tempted to take something without paying for it. So we probably don't need a full lesson about stealing. Although I did used to know a girl, a teenage girl who did steal actually all the time just because she could and For some reason, she enjoyed doing that, and it actually was a big problem for her. So it can be a thing, and we need to stop that if that's our thing. God can help us. But God talks about stealing uh, in a different context in the book of Malachi. And it's the concept of stealing from God. And he is speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Malachi. And he says in chapter 3, verses 6 to 10, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So, this is written in the Old Testament, and we live in New Testament times. So, we are not under a curse. Jesus came and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. So, we are not under a curse. However, it doesn't mean that we discount what God says here about tithing and giving. Like, we can clearly see what God thinks about this issue. Like, he he spoke to the Israelites because they had gone off course. He wanted to bring them back into line, and he says that. He says, Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. Because he'd been watching them, and they were getting a little bit sneaky with their offerings and their giving. So they, in those times, they offered um, animal sacrifices. That was their offering to God. That was what was required by law. And they were meant to give the best of their flocks. So the best animal, the best looking, the fattest calf. But they were getting a bit sneaky. They were kind of just giving like the sick ones or the ones that they didn't really want or like the skinny animals who didn't look so good. And they were using that as their offering to God. And he didn't, he didn't like that. So when he says, return to me, and they say, well, well how? Like, well, like, what are we doing wrong? And he says, you are robbing me. Like, What is, what is that? What, how can we rob God? God obviously doesn't need our money. And he says that in um, Psalm 50. And I just love this little passage. This is God speaking. He says, Psalm 50, verse 9 to 12. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Just classic God, isn't it? I just love that. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Like, what can you do about it? You're a mortal man. There's nothing you could do to satisfy my hunger if I were hungry. He's like, I don't need your animals. I don't need your offerings. I'm God. I am completely self-sufficient. All the animals that you give me were already mine anyway. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to me. I don't need your offerings. So why, why, why did he say that we are robbing him by withholding the tithes and offerings? Because when we withhold tithes and offerings from God, we are robbing him of his true place in our lives. Because he has to be number one before money, before possessions, before anything else. And it's not only... So he can be in charge and and be the big man upstairs. It's not that at all. Everything God does, everything he says, every command he gives us is for our benefit. Because when God has his rightful place in our lives, when things are in order, that's the only way we can have true peace and true joy. Because that's how things are meant to be. That is what is good for us, to be under our king the most high God, the saviour of the world, that's when things are right and in their rightful place. But when we hold back what is owed to God, puts things out of order. So God wants us to release us from the love of money and the fear of not having enough money. Love of money puts God below money. So money kind of becomes an idol, like, or whatever it is, you know, earning or ambition or possessions. None of those things are bad in themselves. But if they come, become more important than God, then they are. They become an idol. And then the fear of not having enough money. Because sometimes it's like, well, I, I want to be generous. I want to tithe. But, but bills and petrol and just groceries and everything else. You know, it's, it's not easy today. Financial challenges abound. But still, he calls us to give and to be generous. Not just for him, not because he needs it, but because it releases the blessing of God in our lives. Because we let go of the fear of not having enough money. Withholding it, keeping it for ourselves is not trusting God. Because he has promised in his word multiple times that He will provide for all of our needs, every single need, hands down, 100 percent taken care of. And I have seen that in my life truly, countless times, where God has come through for me, has blessed us, has taken care of, of every need, every bill. We've never had a bill that hasn't been paid, even though it really seemed like it wasn't going to be paid. I remember once when John and I were both uni students and you know just working part-time jobs. And we had some bills that were coming up and car stuff maybe or something, I can't remember. And we didn't quite have all the money. But we just trusted God, just prayed, just gave it to him. And then all of a sudden, John got a letter in the mail and it was from an employer that he'd worked for several years ago. He hadn't worked for them for I think at least two years. And they had contacted him because it turns out that they owed him money. They hadn't paid him enough while he was working for them. And so he was owed about $1,000. And, I mean, for us, we were like, I don't know, 20 or something. That may as well have been $10,000. Like, that was just such a huge amount of money. And it, it paid whatever bill we had. And I just loved that whole experience so much because it just showed me that even if John and I had sat down and written a list of 100 ways we could earn money, An old employer contacting us and giving us cash would not have ever made the list. I would never have thought of that. But God did. God could, he can create money out of nothing. It's never too hard for him, ever. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he is our father. He looks after his children always. We do not have to fear that there won't be enough money. Don't worry about that at all. And you know what petrol prices, don't worry about them. Don't worry. I know they keep going up and it's a little bit scary getting petrol these days and just driving past the petrol place and looking at the prices. But these days I'm just like, I don't even care. It just doesn't matter. God will provide. It's okay. I have tithed my whole Christian life ever since I was about 14 and had my very first after-school job working at the local news agency. I earned $32 a week, and it was amazing. And I love tithing so much. I love tithing into this house, because this is where our tithes go, into the running of this incredible facility. Like, I love this place so much. This is where I got saved. This is where I came to know Jesus. This is where I met my husband and where I am raising my children. This is the house where I am loved and looked after, where I am brought into fellowship with God, where I am taught truly life lessons that have actually changed my whole life. It all happened in this place. And it it truly thrills me to be able to contribute financially. Like, like why would I not want to give to this incredible building and I know that it's not it's not the building that brings all of that it's not the walls and the roof and if we had to have church out in a field we would do that and the spirit of God would meet us but isn't it nice that we don't have to meet in a field (laughs) that we actually have this fantastic building where so many good things occur every single week and year after year after year like where our kids are looked after and loved and taught the very ways of God, like where they are out there listening to the Holy Spirit and learning how to pray, you know, where the youth come every Friday and are just blessed and are actually taught how to live a godly life so that they say no to the world and yes to the kingdom, you know, where we get to come every single week and make lifelong friends and relationships This is an amazing place to give your money to. And we get the honour of doing that. Not only do we get that honour, but don't forget the promise. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's a beautiful promise and God is faithful to all his promises. He will not let you down. He will look after you. He promises So let's give. Let's give. Let's really release God's blessing over our finances. Let's not hold back and keep it for ourselves. It's not worth it. Let's give generously. So, we want to do the right thing. We want to speak the truth. We don't want to be caught up in lies. We don't want to be tempted to lie and to to steal. We want to have the right attitude towards money. But how do we deal with these things? So often it's like, well, I, I want to live that kind of life, but I get stuck or, or things pull me up and I stumble and and, and fail at these things because we're human and, and sin trips us up. You know, it's just it's just like a garden, isn't it? Like the most beautiful garden still gets weeds and the weeds have to be pulled out and dealt with. Speaking of gardening, I have really been getting into gardening lately. Yeah, come on, I know. It's really um, relaxing and pleasant, isn't it? To get out in the garden and, you know, I've even planted a few things and they're actually growing. I've even discovered this new product called Fertilizer. Like, you might not have heard of it if you're not into gardening like I am, but it actually works, I promise. And... But do you know when you use fertiliser and like to make your plants grow, do you know what else loves fertiliser? The weeds. Yeah. So you have to be prepared to do a lot of weeding. And I do. Um, I actually really love a beautiful lawn. I've always loved that. So this grass out here, I'm absolutely in awe of it. Adam Puller, thank you again. It's just beautiful. So my backyard is not quite the same because I have three boys who love to play sport and really pound that grass with every ball you could think of. Um, But one thing you will not find in my grass is a certain weed, which is my gardening nemesis, and it is called ricardia. So it's a little tiny star-shaped weed, and it is a ground-cover weed. And if you're not careful, it will overtake your grass. It will completely overtake your whole backyard. And I have been warring against Ricardia for many years. And I am generally actually quite successful. So my, to be honest, my front yard, I've surrendered it to Ricardia because I, I don't have the time to weed the front yard and the backyard. But in my backyard, I am winning the war against Ricardia. And the really annoying thing about it is that it doesn't really respond to um, spraying. Not, you know, like... At least bindies and clover, you can spray them and they'll die. Ricardia likes to pretend that it's going to die. It goes a bit yellow and a bit brown and then it comes back again. So you, you really cannot kill it. And I've researched it and I've tried different things and it really doesn't work. So the only way to kill this weed is to rip it out by the roots. And again, it's really annoying because the roots of Ricardia are quite deep and intertwined. And so you have to dig them out. So I, if ever I find Ricardia and I can spot it from a mile away, I'll be playing in the backyard with the kids and all of a sudden, you know, I'll be about to bowl the ball to, to one of my waiting batters and I'll be like, stop, I've just seen Ricardia. And their boys are like, oh, mom, can't you just get it later? I'm like, no, no. If I leave it, I will forget about it and I'll come back in three weeks and it'll have grown a meter. So everything is stopped when Ricardia is discovered. I hate it. So like I said, the only way is to get it out by the roots. And so I get my trusty weeding tool and I dig it out by the roots. Because if I try and just pull it, I'll only pull the leaves off and the roots are still there. And then in a, week, a week's time, they'll grow back again. And you know what? It's the same with God. When we try and deal with our sin and our issues and the things that keep on tripping us up on our own, All we're really doing is just ripping out the leaves and the roots are still there. The roots are still growing and then it just kind of comes back. So we need God. So these things that I've been talking about, all of the commandments, any kind of issue that you are dealing with, whatever it is, we need God's grace to help us overcome sin. And he is the master gardener He knows exactly how to get these weeds out. They're not confusing to him. They're not shocking to him. They're not surprising. They don't put him off. No issue puts him off. No issue is too bad for him to deal with. He loves you and he wants to help you with these things. Just like with Zacchaeus, all it took was one look from Jesus and he turned his life around. So let's let Jesus look at us and the issues in our lives and let him deal with them. He is beautiful and gentle. He does not condemn. He loves you and he wants you to have the best life that you can have. And that involves dealing with things. And it's good. It's great. So let's pray this morning. Can I get the band to come up? And I just want us to pray And just bring these issues before God. Because he is here this morning. He is ready to come alongside you and to help you dig out some of these things. And when you dig them out by the roots, they don't come back. You can overcome these things. So let me read one more scripture from Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9. And it says... Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. I just thought this was such a beautiful prayer to pray. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Like I don't want anything to do with lies. I don't want to speak a lie. I don't want to hear a lie. I don't want to hear something and, and entertain that, that life. It's not truth. And give us the right attitude towards money. We would not be in lack. Like I said, God will not leave us. When it comes to money, He will come through for us every single time. And perhaps it's a blessing as well that we don't have too much. We all plan and want you know, to be wealthy and rich But really, potentially, it's a kindness of God that we're not. Because then we could fall back on that and trust in our wealth instead of in God. That's a difficult one to overcome. So let's close our eyes. So just in your chair, just where you are, just open your heart before God and let Jesus look at you. He stops everything to deal with these things he was walking through Jericho and he stopped he stopped in his tracks nothing else was more important than looking up at Zacchaeus and loving him and he didn't lecture him or condemn him he loved him he invited him in and that's what Jesus does right now so let him look at you Let him look at your whole life. Jesus, we don't hold anything back from you this morning. Here in this house, where you are with us, we just bring everything before you. The good, the bad and the ugly. We lay it before you. And you are not turned away. You are not frustrated and annoyed with us. You love us you forgive us and you show us how to deal with these things. We thank you for that this morning, that even now you are speaking to people and you are ministering in hearts and you are giving people new ideas about how to do things and you are releasing some fears that are holding people back. They're gone. He is ripping those out by the roots. Spirit, we let you work here this morning. Do what you will. We praise you, we love you, we glorify you here today, God. In the name of Jesus.